Welcome, welcome, welcome to the free agent edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by the latest snowflake in our lives, Mr. John Hodge and Jumbo Cheese. There will be some context, don't you worry, on Hodge being called a snowflake. You gotta wait for it. Yes, that's a tease. Today, we're discussing Matthew Betts, the outstanding Canadian defensive lineman, signing a contract with the Detroit Motor City Lions. Simone Lawrence retiring from the CFL. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers losing two legends of the game on the same day. Hodge's ongoing saga or saga, potato, potato, with Boomer Esiason. Dun, dun, dun. And the team, and the, this year's CFL Combine rosters being unveiled. But first, CFL free agency opened on Tuesday at high noon with around 50 players so far changing teams. Toronto has lost the most free agents, but compensated by adding the highest amount of players to date. Winnipeg remains the only squad yet to sign a player who was under contract with the CFL team in 2023. Who are your free agent winners and losers? I think we should start out doing a round of winners. So I will go first with my winner. My winner is the Saskatchewan Roughriders, a team that after, in a bit of an odd way, like, like keeping kind of a, the same core of players from 2022 to 2023, despite obviously not having a good 2022 season, has finally really shifted the core of this team. Yes, they brought in Trevor Harris in 2023, but it almost seemed like in 2023 they were going, okay, Everything but the quarterback position's working. The problem is Cody Fajardo. We're going to keep the coaches the same. A lot of the players are the same. We're replacing the quarterback. Now, maybe it would have worked if Trevor Harris hadn't gotten hurt. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. The rest of it didn't work. They went out and got the best right tackle in the CFL, at least in my opinion, in Jermarcus Hardrick from Winnipeg, replacing Colin Kelly, who suffered a torn ACL late last season. To me, that is a huge upgrade. A.J. Olette is a huge upgrade, in my opinion, over Jamal Morrow. He's going to do a great job of protecting Trevor Harris in the backfield on top of catching passes out of the backfield, bruising in the run game, all that stuff. I really like the addition of Adam O'Claire. To me, he is a slightly more athletic version of Micah Tights. And Jameer Thurman being the new quarterback in the middle. That's a position I think they needed to get younger at. And uh, certainly they were able to do that in linebacking court in Ryderville. So, yes, there were some losses here. I mean, Tevin Jones had a pretty nice season last year, but I think you don't really need him with Braden Lenius and, you know, Kean Schaefer-Baker being healthy. And they frankly got rid of some guys who are just beyond their best before day. Like, no disrespect to Derek Moncrief, who was once an amazing player, he was not very good this last year. Nick Marshall could be a a bit of a liability at boundary corner at times. Jake Winnicky didn't live up to the hype. Evan Johnson, I think, has been a weak, weak link on that offensive line for a couple of years. So I really like what the Riders did. Malik Carney, I think a bit of an underrated signing from Hamilton. He's going to provide some push off the edge. So I like all of this from the Riders and more. Yeah, I you hit the nail on the head there, Hodge. Like, I think Saskatchewan is the runaway winner. But for the sake of adding a little bit of spice to the podcast, I'm going to go in a different direction, but stick on the prairies. You mentioned off the top that Winnipeg is the only squad that hasn't signed a player who was under contract with another CFL team last season. Well, 
I think they're one of the winners in free agency, despite that fact, because of who they were able to retain in the week leading up to the big free agency opening. If you were to sat here a month ago and said the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be able to retain both Dalton Schoen and Brady Oliveira at the prices that they were able to retain them at, I think all of us would have said, you're crazy. One of those guys at least is going to walk or they're going to get massive inflated raises that are going to mess up the rest of your roster. That didn't happen. Both of those guys took reasonably priced contracts. They're still substantial contracts, but reasonably priced for what they are and what was available to them elsewhere. And they're staying in Winnipeg. There are some losses, yes, but I think a lot of those losses are things you can deal with and may actually help the Winnipeg Blue Bombers get younger throughout their roster, and they didn't overpay for guys that they didn't need to overpay for. I I think of a guy like Demario Houston, which a lot of people would have spent a whole bunch of money on because he was the CFL leader in interceptions. Well, we know that statistic isn't exactly, you know, uh, stable year over year and sometimes can inflate what a DB is worth, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are trusting their scouting department to go and get another DB. In past years, they would have spent a bunch of money to bring back a guy like Jackson Def- Jeffcoat. They stood firm on their money with him, and he ended up retiring. To me, that gives them an opportunity to give that spot to a younger guy and revive their roster with a new influx of talent. So with the guys that they were able to retain for the prices they were and for not overpaying for veterans that they didn't really need. I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are a huge winner here. I don't really like going over winners and losers in free agency anymore, especially when you consider what happened last year, fellas. Everybody thought the Montreal Alouettes were going to be the worst team in the league. We at Three Donation, along with a bunch of other publications, had them last in our power rankings going into the season, and they end up winning the Grey Cup, proving that, you don't have to go out and pay above market prices or get in a bidding war to compete for players to have a chance to win the Grey Cup. The one team that I think has kind of gone under the radar here because they did their biggest move before free agency hit was the Ottawa Red Blacks. Getting Drew Brown, a guy who has a lot of potential as a franchise quarterback. Zach Caleros has been on the record saying as such. Now, it's one thing when you're the backup behind Caleros and learning behind him and coming in and spot starts or here and there in situations when the Bombers are up big. But I think there's a lot of potential there. They add Dominique Rimes, a legit number one threat at receiver who does need to stay healthy. I think we need to see a bounce back year and a better campaign from Jalen Acklin. They go and get a little more physical on the offensive line with Deruj Vladek. And I think you look at the defense, what they did with Darius Pickett, that is certainly a move to get more physical and violent as well on that side of the ball. So I think the Red Blacks were sneaky in what they did. I don't think they necessarily overspent on any of those contracts that they gave out during free agency. But ultimately what this comes down to for Ottawa is Bobby Dice has to get this team into the playoffs or jobs are going to be on the line. Or should I say jobs are going to be what are cut and gone if Dice cannot do that they have a nice mix there i think of young and old and a lot of it obviously is riding on the shoulders especially that right shoulder of drew brown 
I appreciate your thought and your sentiment, Dunk, because it is true. Winners and losers, to some extent, is folly, but also what is more fun than folly with free agency in February? <laughs> and ironically, you brought up the Alouettes, something I will point out. There was only one signing that the Alouettes had last year that everybody kind of pointed to and went, wow, that's a good signing. And that was Greg Ellingson, who had one catch. One catch in 2023 so yes these are i suppose to some extent knee-jerk reactions or us projecting a little bit but i do think it's a conversation worth having let's go let's do a round of losers fellows my loser is to me obvious i don't know what you guys are going to say we didn't address this segment before uh it's the calgary stampeders and this is a team that did make some good moves i like the additions of adam konar and micah tights as some really nice canadian depth in that linebacking core, I do think that Demiro Houston will be an upgrade for them. At boundary cornerback, Trevon Tate will help secure the offensive tackle spots. That was a real sore spot, though. It was also a little bit self-inflicted last year when they got rid of Derek Dennis in, in training camp. But regardless, this is a team that I think needed to embrace a bit of an overhaul this offseason. And frankly, we didn't get that. We didn't see that. This team... Went from 12 wins in 2022 to six wins in 2023. And they're still acting like a team that is making the West final every year. I don't understand it. The Montreal Alouettes, who just won the Grey Cup, seem to have embraced this reloading idea where they went out and they got Dylan Wynn. They went out and they brought in Tevin Jones. They went out like, like they made five additions. The Calgary Stampeders have the same amount. And Almost none of them are starters. Like Matthew Schultz is nice to push Jake Mayer, but you know what would have been nicer? Uh, how about Drew Brown? Like, like you, they could have gone out and got Drew Brown. They didn't, right? What about the receiving core? Like, like Reggie Bagleton is great, but they're going to be leaning on Mark and Michelle, who I don't think was great this last year, and Malik Henry, who's only had one good season and coming off of an injury. Like, you could have got Dalton Schoen. You could have done that. Right, like there, there were there were better players available at all these positions, and I appreciate not wanting to overspend and the Stampeder way and all that stuff. But the last I checked, the Stampeder way has led the Stampeders way to the bottom of the West Division or near the bottom of the West Division, and I was expecting more from Cowtown. You know, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there, Hodge. I, I don't think. Calgary was a winner in free agency, but I thought they made some solid moves and I would put them in that sort of middle tier. I know Hamilton added some nice pieces. I thought they were, you know, a bit of an underperformer in my mind. I expected more. I expected more from Ottawa, but my loser is the team that's actually at the bottom of the West division. And that's the Edmonton Elks. Like it looks like they may stay there now. I think it's important to point out that they made a big move way before free agency when they brought in McLeod Bethel Thompson and, of course, the trade to get Curly Gittens Jr. replacing Stephen Dunbar. They've added some pieces on offense. but And free agency, when the chips were down, they added two players. They got better on special teams by bringing in Javon Leak and Boris Beattie. I don't think that's quite... That there's a question of that. Those are two exceptional players that are going to help them in that aspect of the day, of the game. But their defense, guys, was awful for stretches last year, and it's gotten worse. Like, let's be frank about that. They traded away their best pass rusher in Jake Serezna <laughs> to get Curly Gittens Jr. on offense, and then 
at this point, AC Leonard has not been re-signed. It's still out there on the open market. Maybe he comes back, but right now we can't anticipate that. He is not under contract with the team. That's 12 sacks apiece for those two guys. Do you know how many sacks they have under contract currently from last season? Five. Five sacks by defensive linemen. That is absurd. You're going into a season like that, and they're not making any moves? There are pass rushers galore out there. There are guys they could have gone out, spent money for, tried to bring in. There are even some value signings. They have done nothing right now. In my mind, I know they have belief that those young guys in the secondary are going to take a jump next year. I'm not entirely sold on it. I would have liked them to add somebody who's a mid-range veteran, not ancient like Ed Gainey or Aaron Grimes last year, but somebody who's you know, 28, 29, who's in the prime of their career to really bring along that group. They didn't. They didn't get better up front. I don't know what's going on with that Chris Jones defense, and I have serious concerns for Edmonton going forward. Those are a lot of valid points you make, JC. And we should be said that the Elks still could do some bargain hunting here, right? Robertson Daniel, an experienced DB who's into his 30s now, I get it, but was a CFL All-Star last year. Maybe some people would say it was off one big game against the BC Lions and Vernon Adams Jr. throwing it up to him, I believe it was three times. But there still are some moves that could be made. But I think your point is bang on about the pass rush there in Edmonton. I would be very worried about that, especially if AC Leonard does not come back there. And if it hasn't happened yet, do we think that it will happen down the road? Like Hamilton could still use a pass rusher and they got to figure out the situation with Tim White, but the Tiger Cats clearly have money to spend. And guys, I think we should spend a little bit of time on the top free agent who is still on the market in Tim White, holding firm on his, Ask, I guess, is the best way to put it, for $300,000, made $213,100 last year, has put up back-to-back 1,200-yard seasons. So do you guys feel like he deserves the kind of raise that he's looking for to be the second-highest non-paid quarterback in the league behind Geno Lewis? To me, it's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what does the market say. Right. A house that is worth two million dollars in, you know, Little Italy in Toronto can be worth fifty thousand dollars in, you know, a, a very small community, 100 kilometers north of Edmonton. It, 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 the house is not what matters. It's the market. And Tim White can say he's worth three hundred thousand dollars, but the market is clearly telling him that he is not. Exhibit A, he's not signed. Exhibit B. Dalton Schoen, who for my money is basically as good of a comp for Tim White as anybody, signed for $230,000 and did not, to my understanding, have any offers over two fifty, certainly over two fifty five. So the market is telling Tim White that he's a very good receiver and he's going to be one of the highest paid receivers in the league, but it is also telling him that he is not worth or even particularly close to being worth $300,000. So to me, that would be my assessment of the situation. Tim White, if he wants to play football in 2023, 2024, pardon me, is going to have to come down. And look, if he doesn't want to come down and he's willing to sit at home, good for Tim White. Like whatever else he's got going on, cool. It's his life. It's his right. It's his career. He could do literally whatever he wants. It is his prerogative to do that. 
But if you want to play football in the CFL in 2024, you're going to have to take less than $300,000. That offer, if it was coming, wouldn't have come even just yesterday. It would have come a week ago. It didn't come. Yeah, if if you want to talk about losers in free agency, to me, Tim White is one of them right now. And, Dunk, I think you had a bit of a Freudian slip there because you're trying to say the second highest-paid non-quarterback in the league, but you said the second non-paid quarterback. And that, well, <laughs> he's not going to be paying at this point, so that might be particularly apt, right? Every year, it seems we get to free agency, and there's one player, and it's almost always a receiver. Darrell Walker, I'm looking at you, who holds firm on what he thinks he's worth and puts himself in a bad situation down the line where he's not getting the money he could have had. He's actually losing money on the exchange because they overvalue themselves early in the process and they're not willing to negotiate. Right now, Tim White is that player. Could he change it? Sure. I think there's still a good deal to be struck, but that will not be around forever. And he needs to move relatively quickly on that in my mind it's it's not a a matter of whether he's worth 300,000 or not I think Tim White is a fantastic player it's just people have looked at what it what it means when you pay a receiver $300,000 and they've decided I'm just not willing to do that and I think that's fair if Eugene Lewis went to market today do you think he's getting what Edmonton's paying him after he missed nine games last year and clearly didn't elevate bad quarterbacking when he was healthy? No. No, he's not getting that, right? That was an anomaly. It's not a market resetting contract. It's something that everyone around the league went, wow, I would not pay that. That was a mistake. We are not replicating that. And so guys who are extremely talented like Dalton Schoen and Tim White are not going to command those dollars. And frankly, from a business standpoint, as much as I hope those guys get everything that they think they're worth, they shouldn't be paid that much. And Tim White needs to realize that he's not going to get anywhere close to 300000 And if he doesn't move quickly, he may not even get 200000 if the market shrinks. There are two receivers by my count that make over $250,000 in this league. And that's Gino Lewis at $320,000. And a lot of people would deem it as JC just did a mistake from Chris Jones to pay that much money. So other general managers and talent evaluators and people who manage the cap behind the scenes will say, yeah, we're not paying that. The other guy is Kenny Lawler, who I believe is going to be on the books for about $285,000 this year for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I don't even think it's an argument, fellas. He is the best X short side boundary side, whatever you want to call it, receiver in the league. He can beat man coverage. Obviously he can use the waggle and do all those kinds of different things, but Lawler's a real difference maker. And why isn't that guy at X? He's a smaller receiver that uses a waggle. Does he have explosiveness? Yes. He is an Olympian level kind of an athlete. And I think it's worth mentioning this, that he's clearly paying attention to what people are saying on social media or publicly. And he tweeted, I see a lot of negatives on my name hoping I'm ready for life after football and so forth. There isn't a situation I haven't been in before and I'm absolutely prepared for the worst. I'm in God's hands and that's where I'll remain. That being said, I'm thankful to all those who have supported me throughout this process. This is not a goodbye to Hamilton as I know it will all work out. Thank you. So 
I get the sense that White is one of those players, as you guys are alluding to, who has overestimated his value. Would it be great for him to get that money? Would we like him to see that kind of money come? Yes, if the salary cap was much higher than it is currently, around $5.8 million. But it's just not realistic. I've had multiple teams tell me if Tim White came down even into the $250,000 range, we would be interested. So I think that's what him and his camp needs to realize is that if you take down this asking price that's so firm and that you're so dug in on, you could actually create a market and potentially a bidding war to get close to that range that you want to get to. And 1,200 yards in back-to-back years is great. But, Hodge, I bet you have the numbers off the top of your head. Dalton Schoen has led the CFL in receiving touchdowns in two straight years, had a 1,400-yard season in his rookie year. Correct. And last year, I believe, was just behind Tim White in terms of yardage, and he suffered a major injury, right, that hampered him for the playoffs in the Grey Cup. So if Schoen can realize it enough that he – is going to sign a one-year deal and go back to see what the market has for him in 2025. I think White needs to realize that. And this creates strain on a team relationship. The Tiger Cats at Hervey has gone on the record and say, in saying, excuse me, that they would love to have him back, but it has to be at a price that's, you know, somewhat reasonable and not a massive overpay for the team because they're trying to put this roster together It's just an intriguing situation, and I don't think anybody is speaking ill of Tim White's name. We think, I think across the board here at the Rano Nation, that he's an exceptional receiver. He is one of the elite receivers in the CFL. Mm -hmm. To have a 1,200-yard season last year with three different quarterbacks throwing you the football there in Hamilton, one of which was a rookie in Taylor Powell, was very impressive. But as Hodge said, the market is right now what it is. And I think Darrell Walker is a very smart comparison. The longer that situation went along for him, the less he got paid. So when White realizes this and peels back this asking price a little bit, because it is a negotiation, it has to be a two-way street, then I think he'll find a common ground there with not just the Tiger Cats, but some other teams potentially getting in the mix at around that $250,000 number. Well, I know for a fact that the initial ask for Dalton Schoen was $300,000. And that did not materialize, and they pivoted. And that is exactly the blueprint that Tim White needs to follow here if he wants to continue playing CFL football. If he doesn't, again, God bless him. I will never, ever criticize an athlete for stepping away for for whatever reason is, you know, health reasons, personal reasons, whatever. But he's not going to get $300,000. And the CFL is not like some other leagues where some teams will go the entire season with millions of dollars of cap space unused or they'll save you know oh we want 15 million dollars available for you know just before camp and we can add a a veteran this is not like that the cfl these teams all spend at or near the cap hell last season almost half the teams went over the cap and (laughs) this money does not get saved this money gets spent by the day after free agency starts teams do not have the money the budgets are spent they are tapped out and they do that specifically because if they don't spend that money immediately everybody else is gone and accounted for and they lose out on the opportunity to sign the players who they want so the cfl is not a slow play league the cfl is grab hands with the very first team you can find type type of league as long as the deal is acceptable and that and that's how it works so again 
I'm not speaking ill of Tim White as a person. He can conduct his business however he likes, but I'm suggesting that his goal is not one that's attainable right now. And if he wants to continue playing CFL football, he needs to follow the Dalton Schoen blueprint. You could argue that Tim White is lucky in a sense, fellows, because the Hamilton Tiger Cats do not have a bona fide number one receiver under contract yet. But what if things played out differently, let's say in a hypothetical other world, because we're going to talk about this in a second with Matthew Betts, but what if Betts signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats for a lucrative contract, you know, somewhere between $275,000 and $300,000, perhaps that money wouldn't be there for Tim White. Right. And you look at most of the other teams, Kyle Walters, the general manager of the Blue Bombers said it, they just don't have any money left under the cap. And most of the other teams have spent that money. So in a way, White is kind of lucky here that the Ticats, based on our rough calculations, do have money to spend, even though they have spent some of it and brought in a lot of free agents. Those guys haven't been of the super high-priced variety. I believe Brandon Barlow would be the highest-paid guy that the Tiger Cats have brought in, around $200,000 on his contract, but everybody else is below that $200,000 threshold. Yeah, and I mean, the Tiger Cats have also parted ways with a lot of high-priced veterans, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Canadian defensive lineman Matthew Betts signed a one-year contract with the Detroit Lions after recording 18 sacks in 18 games with the BC Lions last season to win most outstanding defensive player and break the all-time Canadian single-season sack record, beating Brent Johnson. With his deal not including any guaranteed money from Detroit, did Betts make the correct decision by signing down south? Yeah, I... I can see both sides of this, but he's 29 years old. This was his last shot at it, and I don't think you're going to get a much better opportunity to crack a roster as an unlikely player to crack a roster than with these Detroit Lions and the culture that they have built down there with with general manager Brad Holmes and and, um, head coach Dan Campbell. Now, some of the red flags here, you can easily point to the fact that there's no guaranteed money in the deal. There is nothing stopping the Lions from simply moving on at no cost to them. But it should be noted that Betts turned down guaranteed money from another NFL team to sign in Detroit. That's how strongly he feels about this particular opportunity. And frankly, I think he's a fit for their mentality as a team and for what they have as edge rushers. I I think he is a very discounted version of Aiden Hutchinson in a lot of ways, who is a similarly high motor type of guy, sort of one dimensional as a pass rusher, but very effective with the way that he does it. I think Matthew Betts could be a guy who impresses with his work ethic and the way, the way he approaches the game And what he does when he gets to Detroit, I think there's a real opportunity for him there. And there's always going to be opportunities and money for him in the CFL if he comes back, right? This is not a situation where he is hurting himself in Canada by taking this opportunity in the NFL. It's a last crack at it, a last gasp. I didn't think he truly 
got the opportunity he deserved the first time around with the Chicago Bears when he was coming out of Laval. So I'm happy to see it come later in his career. And it couldn't have happened to a harder working guy and a Canadian guy at that. You'd love to see it. It's a smart decision for a player who wants to try to live out his childhood dream of playing in the NFL with all due respect to the CFL. Is it a bit of a financial risk? Yes, but you never know what could happen until you actually take that chance. And that's why I think Betts is doing this. JC mentioned turning down that other offer that included guaranteed money. You look at the other teams, the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns that he worked out for. You know, it was one of those other teams that offered him a contract. And those defensive lines are constructed you know, a little bit differently. And especially the one in Cleveland has Miles Garrett and a bunch of ultra-talented defensive linemen under contract mm-hmm. for the 2024 season. Detroit only has two other pass rushers at the current time under contract for the 2024 season. The aforementioned Aiden Hutchinson and James Houston is the other guy that they would kind of define in Detroit as an edge rusher. So Betts looks at that depth chart and thinks this is a better spot and chance for me to potentially make the roster here, especially when you consider that under Motor City Dan Campbell, there have been at least a handful of players who have been undrafted NFL free agents, which is essentially what Betts is with this contract, that have made the roster there. And Betts joked on his media call, John Hodge, you tweeted this out, about getting a bunch of texts about biting kneecaps. But you know, I've seen some feedback from Lions fans and beat writers on social media when we broke this signing at 3downation.com saying that they're looking at his film and thinking that he fits into that mentality of Campbell biting kneecaps and being a high motor guy and someone that could actually have a real shot to make the roster. So I think it's smart in this instance for Betts to go to a place where he feels like he has a better shot to make the roster instead of taking that guaranteed money. And even if he's on the practice roster for a little while, look at the money that Nathan Rourke was able to make around, I believe it was 500000 U.S. last year between the Jags and the Patriots, only active for a handful of games there, but got one year on record for going towards his NFL pension, made that kind of money. So if Betts is on practice roster all year and he makes, you know, I think it's just over 200000 U.S., that's more than he would have made in Canada anyway. So I think it's a measured decision for Betts and one that a lot of people are intrigued to see how it plays out. Well, the very worst case scenario for Matthew Betts is he trains, goes to camp, gets cut, sits out for a while, and then, you know, signs a CFL contract with a team that's going to make waves in the playoffs. And he'll have to play at a discount, but then he'll get some sweet, sweet playoff money, which is not unsubstantial in the CFL. And then he'll hit free agency again and be able to go wherever he wants to the highest bidder. So, yes, there's a chance that he will make substantially less this year if he gets zipped by Detroit. Um, but I, I do think that long term, I mean, it's I, I think the, the risk is worth the reward potentially. Um, I will say as a member of the media, I hate the fact that he signed from the Lions to the Lions because that makes communicating and disseminating information <laughs> extremely confusing. I'm a little bit salty about that on a personal level, but I'm extraordinarily happy for Matthew Betts. He deserved this opportunity. Something that he said that really stood out to me is that when he came out of that Chicago Bears training camp, because let's remember, he only went 
10 days between getting cut by the Bears and signing his rookie deal with the Edmonton football team. That is not a lot of time. Um, a lot of guys like to languish and, and ponder and, and wait. And, and he did not do that. He came right up to Canada and he's now been up here for five years. And I appreciate that. He said, you know, the NFL was not on my radar. Like that was never a consideration. He just wanted to become the best player that he could be. And the NFL found him and the NFL sought him out, which is really cool that, you know, some, some, sometimes players are so concerned about their image or their brand, or they want to politic behind the scenes. And he just put his head down and he did the work. And even though he's 28, uh, he, he turns 29 next month. The NFL still said, yeah, we'll take a shot on you. Multiple teams did, which is pretty exceptional. I mean, Matthew Betts has always been a great player. Clearly, he has elevated himself each and every season. He said he feels leaner, stronger, more explosive than he ever has. And he thinks that his added experience in the CFL has has made him a better player and, and given him, a, he, he thinks, a better chance to make the roster. And I think he's also being advised very well by Montreal-based agent Sasha Gavami, who has previously, you know, he, he mostly does CFL stuff, but has very successfully helped navigate people like Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and Anthony Claire through the NFL as well. So I think he's getting good advice there from his agent. We'll be navigating another player through that process in UBC's Theo Benedet in this upcoming draft, who is absolutely going to get NFL opportunities, if not drafted, like LDT did back in the day. Before we move on, I just want to give a little clap on the back to us, because I don't think anyone else besides us on the podcast last week was talking about the serious opportunity of Matthew Betts going to the NFL and that playing out in the CFL free agency market. You heard it here first on the Three Down Nation podcast. You always get the good goods when you tune in here. Simone Lawrence has announced his retirement from professional football, ending a 10-year run with the Hamilton Tiger Cats that saw him become the franchise's all-time leader in defensive tackles. The 35-year-old will be a brand and community ambassador for the Hamilton Sports Group, allowing him to continue his charity work. What does Lawrence's retirement mean to you? It's very interesting in a way because you talk to people around the league and they would tell you that Simone Lawrence on tape was actually much better in 2023 than he was in 2022. But I think it speaks to a couple of things. First of all, how that community feels about him, how the owner there, majority owner, I should say, and Bob Young feels about his impact on the team and what he's done in the city of Hamilton. And Lawrence released a video saying, thank you for the city for allowing him to make it his forever home. So I think he feels a real connection there and never really got the sense that he wanted to go anywhere else for multiple contract negotiations throughout his run there with the Tiger Cats. And I think on the flip side of it, it shows that there are some of these veterans that are in, you know, their early thirties or have been in the CFL for a little while that are getting pushed out from younger players or teams deciding to scout and go with some of the guys on their negotiation list to go younger because of the unification and the new United Football League that's down there, that's made it easier for some of these American players to come up here. I'm not necessarily saying that's the way that the Tiger Cats are going to go in terms of replacing what Lawrence does on the field. But, I mean, ultimately, 
he'll still continue to make a salary from the same employer and do it for a lot less of a beating and to provide some balance because we've seen the comments on social media already, fellas. There are a lot of people out there that feel like the league is a safer place with some of the shots or liberties that Lawrence has taken throughout his career that are well-documented. I don't think Saskatchewan Rough Riders fans are sad to see Lawrence go into retirement. I don't think Zach Caleros, his former teammate, would be sad to see him go into retirement, but he played the game with an edge, and at the end of the day, he is one of the best defensive players ever to suit up for that franchise, and he'll be among the great players in Hamilton Tiger Cats history. Yeah, top 10 all-time in CFL tackles is pretty sensational. It was really cool to spend some time in the hammer around Grey Cup, and obviously the Ticats weren't playing in the game, but but really get a sense of just how much Simone Lawrence means to that community. He is as beloved as any player that I can think of, even in my lifetime in a particular market. He is the man in Hamilton, and that's something that is not possible without spending essentially your entire career. Let's not forget Lawrence did play one season in Edmonton prior to being traded to Hamilton, but he is a good lesson in the fact that the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? We have seen lots of players spend two seasons there, one season here, one season there, and then two seasons here. And I'm not suggesting that's the wrong way to go about it, but if you are Simone Lawrence, if you are somebody who has put down roots and really built something in a particular city, there will be options post-football that would not be there if you'd had a nomadic career. And he has now taken full advantage of that as the brand and community ambassador of the Hamilton Sports Group. So he's essentially now going to be getting paid for what he had spent doing largely on his own time over the last 10 years and building connections in that community. So it is a good reminder. Again, I'm not saying it's illegitimate to go about your business the other way. A player's business is a player's business. But Simone Lawrence surely at some point in his career left at least a little bit of money on the table to stay in Hamilton. And he is now reaping the benefits of that, which is something that has not happened very much over the last 10, even 20 years in the CFL since the introduction of one-year contracts. I believe it was in 2014. Ironically, I think that was Simone's first season in Hamilton, right? Most guys were like nomadic marauders every single season going to the highest bidder. Simone stayed put, and one could argue that in hindsight, that was the best decision he could have made because, again, his legacy means something. If he had been somebody who'd played for five different CFL teams, honestly, nobody cares the day that he retires. Or if I should say nobody cares, but it, it's a blip on the radar. Instead, Hamilton is going to come to a standstill today to celebrate this man. I've seen tweets from people suggesting that his number should be retired. I've seen people suggesting that he should immediately be inducted into various halls of fame with you know the the, the standard wait times being waived it it is it, it is remarkable the impact that he's had on this community and it's not possible to do that unless you spend 10 years there cultivating that sense of community i i think this is a good move for both parties lawrence showed last year that he could still play at a high level but he gets to step away now knowing that's our last impression of him and Hamilton gets to get younger and they don't have to see if there was a decline coming and, and 
have it get worse. They they get to improve their roster. They get to get younger. And Simone gets to keep his legacy intact. And he gets to stay with the organization. I think the added benefit of that, guys, is if we get a month into the season, two months into the season, you know, Jordan Williams, knock on wood, blows out his knee and the situation is not looking good at linebacker and there's no options on the market. Well, if Lawrence is in shape, maybe they walk down the hall, knock on his office door and say, hey, Simone, you want to suit back up? Give it one last run, right? That's a possibility down the line if he stays in shape and if they need him, right? They keep him in the fold in that respect while being able to move on as an organization. But before we stop talking about this, I do want to go back to the one season he spent in Edmonton. And then the trade that followed, because I don't think we talk about that move nearly enough as one of the worst moves in CFL history. <laughs> no one knew it at the time, but boy, in hindsight, did it turn out to be awful. That trade from Edmonton to Hamilton, the Elks got linebacker Nathan Kenya and the rights to offensive lineman Carson Rockhill. The Ticats got Lawrence, offensive lineman Greg Watt, and quarterback Jeremiah Mazzoli. So they built their entire team in one trade of essentially bottom of the roster backups at the time, and Edmonton got basically nothing in return. Truly a remarkable piece of CFL history. Now it's time for the main <laughs> event. This is what everybody came for. <laughs> Boomer Esiason took you, Mr. Hodge, to task on his radio show, the number one rated radio show in New York City, NYC, after your column about him and Chris Strevler from February 1st caught his and his co-hosts Greg Giannotti's attention. They spent almost 10 minutes discussing the piece as Esiason called you a snowflake. His comments sparked a second column from you on February 10th, which garnered a lot of positive feedback, but also had some people calling it clickbait. But hey, if you click on it, I guess you liked it, so you took the bait. How do you feel about this entire saga or saga potato potato between you and former NFL MVP Boomer Esiason, <laughs> who, oh, by the way, was on the panel for the Super Bowl on CBS, but he didn't mention you there. That would have been next level. <laughs> this whole situation uh, is bizarre. It is entertaining. Uh, I will also say it is uncomfortable because one of the things that we are taught as reporters is to tell the story and not be the story and I feel like with Boomer making this somewhat personal it has like I have become part of the story which is not my what my intention was and it's again not something I'm terribly comfortable with but I will speak on it let's start off with why I wrote the first column and the first column we've already talked about a little bit on the show that's the one from February 1st where essentially I, I asked Chris Treveller about the original commentary that Boomer Esiason provided during his NFL debut in 2021 and I had some people suggesting, and this, and this is what upset Boomer, that someone was asked a question about something from three years ago. Well, on the one hand, I get it. We're not in in a, in a 
you know, um, a market that's called olds. It's called news, right? We're supposed to talk things that are new and fresh. However, I never got the chance to ask Chris Traveler about that moment. And that moment remains one of the most big topic stories of interest in three down nation history. Yes, it is an article that did very well. And on the one hand, people could say, oh, well, you know, writing about it, that, that's just clickbait. Well, my, my interpretation of clickbait, like the way that I would think of clickbait is an article that uses a piece of information out of context or purposefully, deceptively words the headline to promise something that the article does not provide. If your interpretation of clickbait is to say, well, any any story that someone might want to read is clickbait, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yes, I, I part of the reason I asked about it was because people are interested. To me, that's being a good reporter. I'm reporting on something that people are interested in. I Obviously, people are interested in it. And I feel like I went about it in a responsible way. And Chris Streveler, by the way, could have said, oh, that's three years ago. I don't care about that. I'm here to talk about the bombers. And that would have been fine. Chris Streveler gave a very long answer to the question and spoke at great length about what it meant to be a CFL quarterback who went to the NFL and came back. And by the way, he is the only quarterback to do that in 20 years, to go to the NFL from the CFL and then return to the CFL. So he is the unique person on the planet to provide insight on what that might feel like. Now, as for Boomer's response... I get that it's a three-year-old comment. I get that. But what first ticked me off was the fact that we asked CBS for an interview at the time, and CBS said no. Now, Boomer indicated on his radio show that he wasn't made aware that a, a request had been made or he couldn't remember. One of his staffers suggested that it's possible that he wasn't even made aware of the request, and they just turned it down at CBS. And either of those things is fine. No one, right? We're not entitled to an interview with Boomer Esiason. If CBS said no, it's fine. But it ticks me off when somebody at the time avoids interviews and media scrutiny, but then years later starts talking about it when they're on their own terms on their own show and they aren't faced with the scrutiny of that situation. So that's why I felt obligated to write the second column. And I think that they made some great points, Boomer and Geo. I'm not discrediting anything that they said, except for the fact that they missed the entire crux of the story, which is something that, frankly, Boomer, as a former NFL quarterback of like 15 years, probably should have picked up on back in 2021 when Chris Trevler threw that interception, which is that a defensive player coming off the edge, I believe his name is Terrell Lewis, for the Los Angeles Rams, moved before the snap of the ball, and Chris Trevler thought that he had an offside penalty, which is why he floated the ball into the middle of the field, which, by the way, is something that Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl. Nobody said that Patrick Mahomes floating the ball in the middle of the field made him a lousy CFL quarterback who doesn't know anything. They gave him the benefit of the doubt because he's Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, Chris Streveler did not get the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes. Chris Streveler himself would not say he's Patrick Mahomes. But the point is that Boomer latched on to the very first piece of information he had about Chris Trevler, which is that he played in the CFL and said, well, this is a CFL quarterback who's not good. And he's floating the ball in the middle of the field because CFL players, you can do that in the CFL because they're not as athletic as the NFL. And that's why he did it. When in fact, he did it because of the offside penalty that he thought was coming. And then on the radio show, him and his co-host sat there and read almost the entire column 
and left out the one quote from Streveler where he talked about the offside penalty and why he thought why or why he threw the ball in the first place, which is because he thought he thought that his opponent had jumped offside. So that was the second reason why I was like, no, if he's addressing it, first of all, I want to write the column. But secondly, if he is actually not going to address the one part of the article that is in is in my view the most important, which he missed back in 2021 and is now either chosen purposely to overlook now, in which case shame on you for cherry picking quotes, or they have done a once over of the column and they happen to miss it, in which case, okay, now you're being sloppy and you're not being responsible by reading the entire thing carefully before addressing it on air. So those are the two reasons why I wrote the second column. And by the way, both of these columns have done exceptionally well. Some people might call it clickbait to write articles that you suspect people will be interested in, but nobody gets mad at Apple when they make an iPhone that people want to buy or McDonald's when they make a burger that everybody wants to eat at three down nation. We don't want me in that group. I I didn't suggest that you did. I'm talking about the average of the, when the, when the public at large is interested when in they the make topic. a quinoa you, bowl. With, yeah, hey. when they when they make a flavorless <laughs> tofu quinoa bowl, Justin will will be all over that McDonald's drive-through. Uh, but what I was going to say is, for some reason, when you write an article about a topic that people are really interested in, it gets called clickbait. I don't really know why. Again, if I had re- reported on this story irresponsibly or had a deceptive headline or taken a quote out of context, by all means, call me clickbait. But in my view. This was a topic that people were interested in. And 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 the, the other thing I will say, Boomer seemed to be upset that we're talking about this three years after the fact. Then why did he talk about it for almost 10 minutes on his show? If if, <laughs> yeah. if this is an irrelevant topic, then you go, oh, somebody in Canada wrote a column about the – well, that's weird. That's old. Anyways, let's focus on today's NFL news. That's how that conversation would have gone in New York when they were planning the show. Instead, they talked about it for 10 minutes. So that other argument – of you shouldn't be reporting on things that were said three years ago. Well, they talked about it for 10 minutes, three years later. So I, I, I don't think that's viable, but anyways, that's my thought process. I wanted to clear the air, address it with our listeners share. And by the way, three down nation again, while reporting responsibly, we'll continue to write articles that people want to read because that, that, that's our job. That's literally our report on things that people are interested in. We'll continue to do that. Maybe the most amusing thing that has happened in the history of this website. <laughs> and as the person who wasn't in the crosshairs of the number one radio show in New York City, I was just loving every second of it, Hodge. I laughed so hard when I saw that clip. I was in tears. And I love the fact that they. Couldn't even figure out how to pronounce your very basic name. Oh, jeez. Hodge. They said it right Hodge. at the start. They said it right like five Hodge, times. Hodge. 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 Wow. We need to get them to say Hodge. Hodge. Because dumb Americans, I'm sure, would very much believe that every Canadian name should be pronounced like it's in French. But. I love the fact that I got to sit at the Super Bowl with my girl and point at the screen and say, hey, look, it's the guy who called Hodge a snowflake. And we got to have another laugh. It was amazing. Every single part of it. But Boomer's comments, I think, are 
reductionist, they are arrogant, and they are indicative of everything that people who don't watch the CFL, and I won't just single out Americans, although it's a lot of Americans, but also some Canadians too, think about the league. And it's just not true. Are there fantastic NFL players who are far away better than anything that the CFL has? Yes, there are you know, three or four freaks on every single team that are just unbelievable athletes in their own right. They are better than almost everyone in the NFL too. That's just what they are. But the bulk of any NFL roster and the bulk of any CFL roster is mostly determined by circumstance and system and 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 opportunity, right? And a lot of those players, anyone who's played in both leagues will tell you are incredibly similar. And it's not always the cream of the crop that rises and gets their NFL opportunity. There are a lot of factors that play into it. So this idea that Boomer you know, hung his hat on that CFL athletes are just inferior to NFL athletes is patently incorrect at a systemic level, like a whole level. Are there better NFL athletes? Yes. But for the most part, football players are football players. And there are some tremendous athletes in Canada that should be in the NFL and aren't because of whatever situation. And Boomer back in the day got his butt beat by a number of CFL players like Warren Moon and others. So I hate those type of comments from anyone, but I love that he stuck our name out there like that and made himself look like an idiot in the process. The major issue that I have with Boomer when he's talking about our colleague, John Hodge, and even the website overall is just his arrogance. Like what he was saying under his breath, he swore, he's name calling. Like, you know, I understand this is entertainment, but you know, have the guy on the show. I think even as uncomfortable as Mr. Hodge is, he would go on the show to provide this ulterior perspective for a couple of important reasons. In any football league in the world that has a forward pass, it is not smart to throw the football down the middle of the field. So when that is the comment that you are basing your commentary on and still trying to defend on your number one rated New York radio show. It doesn't make any sense. I don't care if it's pop Warner or if it's Canadian university football, CFL, NFL, NCAA, UFL, USFL, whatever freaking league it is, XFL, UFL. You don't just throw the ball up down the middle of the field and hope for success. That is not a recipe for wins in the CFL. And the other thing that I can't comprehend is, Boomer Esiason is clearly a proud American. Chris Strevler is an American who happened to play in the CFL. Like half of the CFL is American players, a decent amount of them from big time colleges that, as JC said, for different circumstances, just have not made it in the NFL. There's only 32 teams in the NFL. So I think his misunderstanding here of the quality of talent, as Hodge pointed out, so well in his column when he was inducted into the Cincinnati Bengals ring of fame with Chad Johnson standing right beside him. Chad Johnson has gone on the record multiple times and made waves in the United States talking about his time in the CFL and saying that the talent was way better than he anticipated. So full credit to Mr. Johnson for 
being able to have the perspective and admit that he was wrong about the talent. And I would like Boomer Esiason to do that as well, because there were some hardcore CFL fans that went out there and found Boomer Esiason stats from his first CFL start, excuse me, NFL start. I'd like to see him start in the CFL back in the day. And Chris Traveler's first NFL start. They were virtually similar. Their quarterback ratings over their careers in the NFL, obviously varying lengths and much different. I believe Stravelers was better. So I would just like him to have a little bit of perspective and lose that arrogance. I understand how you can build that ego up being a former NFL MVP. We respect what he's done in the NFL and what he's done as a commentator in his post playing career, but have a little respect when you're talking about a league that you might not know about and do some research because you can't just throw the ball down the middle of the field in the CFL and win great cups. Well, and one last thing I'll say is I've seen a little bit of pushback from people saying, well, Boomer's not right, but you know, Chris Treveller is a really lousy passer. Like, can we just acknowledge that he's really bad at throwing the ball? And it's like, well, I, I don't think that's true necessarily. I do think it's fair to say that Chris Treveller is much more of a threat with his legs than with his arm. But the point is not that Chris Streveler is, is a dominant passer, is not a dominant passer, whatever. It's the fact that he made one mistake in his NFL debut, which again was arguably not even a mistake because correctly he asserted that somebody had jumped offside, though there was no penalty called. And the very first opportunity that people are given to slam him and just call him a CFL player and imply that he's well out of his depth and that, you know, this league is, you know, so Bush league that no one could possibly, you know, from that league could come down to the NFL and, and have success. They, they immediately took that first opportunity to very conveniently just write him off. And Chris Traveler, by the way, has a touchdown to interception ratio of one to one in the CFL has started nine games and is three and six. Like he is not the best of the best that the CFL has to offer, but that doesn't matter right to the NFL or its commentators. It's just, well, he's a substandard player. Cause he went, you know, he played in the CFL and the athletes are not very good up there. And uh, so we can just dismiss him and write him off using the same, you know, very generic excuses that we always do. And uh, so that, that's what set me off a little bit that. And of course, you know, the, the original interview being declined and then, of course, not addressing the, the one most important quote, I think, from Streveler, where he was talking about how the interception came about. But anyways, and he called you a snowflake. Well, he called that? in fair. He, he did say uh, it, so the way the interview worked and, and the whole thing is linked, by the way, in the article, if you want to go and listen to it. But essentially, the way it came about was his co-host said, so they, you know, Canada's mad at you because this Chris Streveler thing came up. And uh, a reporter asked about it and Boomer said, which snowflake asked that question? So then it came out that it was a three down nation article and the reporter was John Hodge slash Hodge. Um, so he, he didn't necessarily say like, well, that person is a snowflake, but yeah, he did kind of call me a snowflake, which I, whatever. I, I don't know. It, I, I, I'm from Manitoba. I like the snow. I'll be a snowflake. I don't care. <laughs> Well, I'm glad Dunk brought up Mr. Johnson, as he so eloquently put it, because Mr. Johnson is an excellent euphemism for what I would like to call Boomer instead of Snowflake. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
uh, could be the last of this, or it might not. We'll see if uh, Boomer and Geo decide to respond or have you on the show. I think that would be the best thing. I and you could teach for, them a little bit. Boomer could for clarity on its perspective. I just just for full transparency, I've not heard anything from the show whatsoever, and I'm unaware if they have responded to my column, which uh, the most recent one which came out on the 10th. I also suspect that it would have got completely lost in the shuffle for them at Super Bowl, which ultimately may, maybe that's also a, a bit of a crime in this is that this happened during the most busy week of the NFL calendar and also arguably the CFL calendar with free agency being such a hot topic, uh, which is, again, part of the reason I feel odd talking about this. But I would happily go on their show. Um, I have no personal animosity to Boomer Esiason. Um, I don't have a positive or negative opinion of him. I'm just bothered by what his comments represent. And also the reporter in me is bothered that, again, the original interview request was denied. And then they're talking about this years later. And again, they're cherry picking the quotes from Chris Trevler. If anything, I think Chris Trevler has the right to be upset, but I can't speak on Chris Trevler's behalf. In some more somber news, two legendary Winnipeg Blue Bombers passed away on Tuesday. Ken Plain and Jerry James. Hodge, what does their loss mean to the people in the peg? Well, it's just a gut punch. I mean, this this happened on Tuesday. The news of Ken Plain's passing broke right as CFL free agency was was really getting underway. Like, I was geared up to have this busy work day. Uh, I sat in this chair looking at my screens for, like, 13 hours. Um, shout out to my wife for occasionally bringing me food and water. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, for, for, and I will also say this, not to say that a retirement and a death are on the same level, but I'm a massive uh, curling fan and Jennifer Jones announced her retirement that morning. And Jennifer Jones is arguably the best athlete to ever come out of Winnipeg. And I know that some people don't like curling. That's fine. I'm a huge curling fan personally. Um, so that was already a bit of a gut punch. And it's like Ken Plain passing. That's, that's worse. I mean, Ken Plain came straight to Winnipeg out of the university of Iowa, where he was a legend with the Rose bowl and everything else. And he never left Winnipeg. He stayed here after his 11-year playing career where he was an all-star quarterback and defensive back. He got the Bombers to five straight Grey Cups, winning four, one of the best runs of any team ever in CFL history. Of course, Bud Grant was the team's head coach. Bud Grant just passed a few years recently. He was a very, very young head coach at the time. Um, And then, of course, Jerry James, who spent six years in the backfield alongside playing, we learn on Wednesday, actually passed on Tuesday, the very same day that Ken Plain passed. Plain was 88. James was 89. James was a multi-sport freak. He played professional football in the CFL for a decade. He played in the NHL as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs for five seasons, put up over 30 points, I believe it was, at the NHL level. Like We will certainly never see that again in our lifetimes, a guy who's productive on the professional football field and on the ice at a professional level simultaneously. Uh, He was born in Regina, so he wasn't from Winnipeg. And he, he, from what I understand, spent most of his post-football life in BC. But, you know, Jerry James is somebody who still means a lot to people in Winnipeg. Ken Plainly means the world to people in Winnipeg. You know, it's just brutal that these two men, we lost them on the same day. But I will also say, to, to look at the positives, I mean, they did both live well into their late 80s which is nice, full, long lives. And the other thing that I will say that I love and is super positive is the fact that both of these gentlemen were able to be honored even recently in 2016 when the Blue Bombers opened the Ring of Honor at IG Field. Something that always breaks my heart is when 
these these amazing, great, legendary players pass before their respective team or teams bring them back home, right, to a game, to an event, to something to honor them and show them that they are still remembered and their time playing has not been forgotten. And they do mean a lot to these different communities. And so I'm so thankful that both of these men got that opportunity back in 2016 to get fresh jerseys and, and stand in front of that crowd of 20, 30,000 people celebrating them and, and thanking them and remembering them and signing autographs and all that stuff. Uh, because obviously if they had not gotten that opportunity, that would have been, that would have been a crime, right? So it's uh, definitely tough, tough time in, in, in Bomberland and Winnipeg. Uh, Cause these two men just meant the world to so many people here, but, I do think that there is a silver lining here with the fact that I think both of these men knew exactly how much people in Winnipeg loved and appreciated and respected them. Before we move on, I mean, both of these guys are legends, but I think one of the, I think you could make the argument that Jerry James is, is the most underrated player in CFL history. And it, it's sort of the crime that happens when you're the second best at something in an era Right, Jerry James was an elite Canadian running back, won multiple most outstanding Canadian awards, but he existed at the exact same time as Normie Kwong, right? So we all remember Kwong. We remember the China Clipper because he won more awards. He set the records. But James, who was his contemporary and very much at the same level, we don't remember Kid Dynamite as much. And quite frankly, even though he's a Hall of Famer, he does not get the recognition he deserves when we talk about elite Canadian players in the history of the CFL. I hope that changes going forward because we will never see an athlete quite as unique and multi-talented as Jerry James again. Hodges heritage moment on this day in 2023, the Hamilton Tiger Cats signed Canadian defensive end Kwaku Boateng. The former fifth-round pick was coming off a torn Achilles he suffered in training camp with the Ottawa Red Blacks the previous season, and the Wilfrid Laurier product was a healthy scratch in week one before announcing his retirement as he was reportedly unhappy with his role with the club, finishing his four-year CFL career with 82 tackles and 25 sacks. He has since taken an assistant coaching position at his alma mater with the Golden Hawks and is still only 28 years old. Dunk. What could have been had he stayed healthy, huh? Man, yeah, he could have been a really good Canadian pass rusher, but he's moved on, I think, to bigger and better things in the business world where he doesn't have to beat up his body and probably makes more money post-football now than he would have, even if he continued to play and got to that high level. Time for the three-minute drill. Ricky Walker decided not to sign with the Calgary Stampeders after agreeing to terms on a contract Last week, will we see the former Blue Bomber back in the CFL anytime soon? I'm told it's possible, but it's personal reasons right now why he's not under contract, so totally up in the air. 71 prospects have been invited to the 2024 CFL Combine in Winnipeg. Which player are you most excited to see? There's a, a lot of good players who will be in attendance. I think this is an exceptionally deep draft class, despite the fact that there's going to be 14 guys who just don't show up because they're doing American pro days or pro days in Canada for some of them because they have NFL interest. The two guys I'll highlight who will be in attendance, a couple of defensive linemen. Tyson Hergott from the University of Waterloo was exceptional last year. I thought 
he really got robbed in the JP Metris trophy at conversation because Theo Benedict is so good at offensive line at UBC. He had an exceptional season. And the other guy I'm really intrigued by is another defensive lineman at Wilfred Laurier, Luke Brubacker who is just a tremendous athlete, posted some really good numbers at the East-West Bowl back in the day, and didn't pick up football until his first year of university. He was a high school wrestler, so he's very raw, still learning the game, and has sky-high potential. I can't wait to see him in person. The Montreal Alouettes released veteran defensive tackle Armando Sewell. Will he get signed somewhere for 2024? It's possible three teams have checked in on Sewell to see what is potentially next, and we'll monitor the situation, as always, at 3donation.com. After last week's laughing fiasco during a three-minute drill, man, that was maybe the best (laughs) moment on this podcast of all time to date. 3donation released a list of 26 snowplow puns and... We even got some on social media from our dedicated readers, listeners, and viewers. Plus, people emailed some in as well. Which one was your favorite, Mr. Plodge? My favorite, Plodge. My favorite one was Condridge Holloway, because Holloway is such a clever pun on Condridge Holloway, who, of course, was a great quarterback. However, I do feel bad. No, take you, Mitchell. Yeah, it's not quite as it's not not, not quite as bold there, eh, Ryan Valentine with Snow Take I Mitchell. Anyways, um, <laughs> I still can't get over that. Um, but I do feel bad that we missed an obvious one, which was emailed to us by a loyal listener, which is Anthony Plauvio. How do we not get Anthony Plauvio? That's a great one. Yeah, too bad. The Ottawa Red Blacks have brought back defensive backs coach Alex Suber following a one-year stint at his alma mater at Middle Tennessee State University. Are they smart to bring him back? It's it's always good to see coaches come back to the CFL because we've had a lot of conversations in recent years with the coach's cap and all the things that are going on in the league about how tough it is to attract people from U.S. universities and how a lot of people are jumping from the CFL into U.S. college coaching. Well, Suber's coming back after a one-year snit there. I think that's good news. The Hamilton Tiger Cats signed defensive tackle Casey Sales to a contract extension through 2025. Was that a good move for the Tabbies? Yes, man. It's a smart one. He's a CFL all-star kind of a guy, and I think a dude that really fits the mentality of that hardworking blue collar kind of a city in Hamilton. Good thing to get him under contract for an extra year. The Toronto Argonauts have made Canadian offensive lineman Ryan Hunter, the highest paid national player in the CFL for the 2025 and 2026 seasons. Is he worth that kind of Canadian coin? In my opinion, he is the best offensive lineman in the CFL, or certainly at least on the interior. He's making about 210 this year. In 2025, boys, he is resetting the offensive line market. 275 in hard money, 285 in hard money 2026, which I should say includes a huge $136,000 guarantee. So it's not like they can rip up this contract after year one. or I suppose the Argos can, but it's going to cost them a very pretty penny. 
to do so. Controversial strong side linebacker Chris Edwards has retired from the CFL. How will you remember his tenure in the league? As a mixed bag, I thought Chris Edwards had some really good seasons as a strong side linebacker, flashed at times, was also a liability at times. And of course, we all know some of the issues he had with discipline, taking bad penalties, taking swings at people, knocking down Austin Mack this year. But of course, the image we'll all have of him is him climbing into the stands as a, a and going after a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan after the East final at BMO Field, right? That is what will be indelibly seared into all of our minds, a really dark chapter in CFL history and one we'll remember forever. So unfortunately for Edwards, despite everything he did that was good on the field, playing at an all-star level, that's how he's going to be remembered. Super Bowl 58 garnered record viewership north of the border, attracting an average audience of 10 million people. Should CFL fans be concerned that so many more people are watching the Super Bowl than are watching the Grey Cup? Possibly yes, but I mean, Grey Cup ratings, I believe, are holding pretty strong year over year. A lot of Canadians tune in for the Grey Cup championship game, and I think... No, there's a legitimate question to be answered here. If the Grey Cup and other CFL games were on CTV and readily available on over-the-air TV in those regional areas where you can't just you know, plug in a cable and get TSN or have to pay for that package to get it, then I think it's highly possible that the Grey Cup numbers would be bigger. Bell Media, are they going to provide an answer? I doubt it, but I'd like to hear it. Long-time Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Jackson, Jeffcoat, and... Jesse Briggs have retired from the CFL. How will you remember their careers? I mean, Jeff Coat never played a full 18-game regular season, which I think is something people have focused on a lot. But when he was at his peak, he was, and maybe this is recency bias, I don't think it is, the best pass rusher in the CFL. If you go back and you watch the 2019 Grey Cup, he was quite literally unblockable. It's probably as good of a defensive performance as we've ever seen in CFL history. And for my money, he was the most dominant defensive player in the CFL in 2021. Outside of the 19 Grey Cup in the 2021 season, I don't think he was the very top of the top, but he was still a very good player coming off the edge. I really enjoyed getting the chance to watch him and cover him closely over the past six seasons. And as for Jesse Briggs, I mean, he did a lot of the dirty grunt work on special teams. He's a player who, you know, I, I remember the the Bombers gave up a blocked punt in week one against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I asked Mike O'Shea about it after the game, and he said, go ask Jesse Briggs. He runs that team, which is like, wow, to hear a coach quite literally say, well, one of our players is in charge of that. I don't think I've ever heard a coach say that in any post-game press conference ever. So that goes to show how much faith and how much confidence the coaches had in Briggs and just how good he was at doing that type of special teams work. Wouldn't surprise me if coaching was in his future, but I haven't spoken to Briggs since he retired. The Argonauts have cut defensive end Thomas Costigan, who recorded the six sacks this past season. Is that a surprise? It's not a surprise with what the Argos have brought into that defensive line. Don't forget, guys, Jake Ceresna is now going to be on the opposite end from Florin or Malage, presumably. And they've got Sean Oakman coming back. So something had to give there financially. Costigan, I think, still has value 
to CFL teams, but he's not a number one guy. He has to be a part of a rotation, and they simply couldn't afford him in Toronto. Former CFL head coach and three-time Grey Cup champion Mark Tressman is back in the NFL as a senior offensive assistant with the Los Angeles Chargers, joining new head coach Jim Harbaugh. Is that a good hire? It's certainly a really interesting one. Trustman has been out of pro football in this capacity for a handful of years now, but clearly has stayed very close to it as a big network on both sides of the border. And along with what Harbaugh could do there with Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers, with Trustman being in the building, I think it gives Canadian football fans and perhaps CFL football fans an interesting view and maybe tuning in more to what goes on down in L.A. with the former San Diego Super Chargers. Now just the Chargers. It's not as fun to say. <laughs> it's not as fun to say. Uh, but we thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. Hopefully this was a fun episode for you to listen to. A bit of a supercharged episode with all of CFL free agency and, of course, some noise from the United States in the New York region. <laughs> We thank you, as always, again, for listening. We'll see you. And and apologies, by the way, for being a day late. We will return to our regularly scheduled programming next week on Wednesday, February 21st. We'll see you then.